Chapters 19 and 20 of The Girl from Malta by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 19. Woman Against Man Matteo Vassella was in his sitting-room walking to and fro with his hands in his pockets. The Maltese gentleman was very well satisfied with himself, as all his plans seemed likely to turn out as he wished. Carmela had promised to marry him, and as she had plenty of money, this was very satisfactory for the impecunious nobleman. She did not love him, it was true, but then he agreed with Rochefoucauld that it is best to begin marriage with a little aversion. And then he had the pleasure of taking the prize from under the very nose of his rival. The race had been a long one, and the prize had been awarded, not to the swiftest, but to the most diplomatic. Fate had played into Matteo's hands, and secure in the certainty of his good fortune, he strolled gaily up and down the room humming to himself. The only thing that troubled him was the coming interview with Mrs. Verscoyle, for he knew that lady loved him, and if she found out that Carmela was engaged to him would do anything to stop the marriage. She would fling money, character, even life itself, to attain her ends, such was her passionate temper, and Vassala knew she was a dangerous adversary. The only chance of getting the better of her was to keep cool, as she invariably lost her head, and gave her adversary time to espy the weak points in her armor, so the Marchese felt tolerably certain of winning the game. But still he had a bad quarter of an hour before him, and did not relish the prospect. "'Malediction on these women!' he said, stopping in front of the mirror and admiring himself. "'Why can't they accept the inevitable, and own themselves beaten?' But no, this jade of a Bianca will fight it to the last. I rather admire such tenacity of purpose myself, that is, when I'm not the opponent in the game. He went to his travelling writing-desk, which was lying on a side-table, and having unlocked it, took out Carmela's last letter, which he read carefully, the result of his reading being anything but pleasant to him. Wants me to release her, he muttered, throwing down the letter and resuming his walk. Not I. Give up at the quarry after it has been run to earth. My dear Carmela, you must think me a fool. Without your fortune you'd be a pretty prize, but with it, my faith, it's killing two birds with one stone. Come in, as a knock came to the door. Mrs. Verscoyle announced the waiter, showing in that lady and closing the door after him leaving the two adversaries face to face with the feeling of battle in the air. Mrs. Verscoyle, as she called herself, though she had no claim to the name being divorced, was very like Carmela, only not quite so handsome, while her expression was rather repellent and her lowering eyebrows and firmly closed mouth warned Matteo Vassella that she had come with hostile intentions. Matteo was the first to speak and offered his visitor a chair. "'You will be seated, my cousin?' he asked politely. "'When I choose,' she said harshly. Vassella shrugged his shoulders and produced a silver cigarette case. "'As you please,' he said carelessly, opening it. "'You will smoke?' "'No. Drink. There is excellent wine here.' "'No, I tell you,' she retorted viciously. "'We can dispense with all these formalities, Marchese.' "'Eh?' with a sudden lifting of the eyebrows. "'Why so precise, my cousin?' "'Because you are a villain,' retorted Mrs. Verscoyle, bringing her fist down on the table. "'So,' said Matteo with a laugh, 
"'Perhaps you will give me your reasons for calling me such a name. "'The best of all possible reasons. You deserve it. "'Indeed, the world is not of your opinion. "'Bah, the world does not know you. "'Ah, so you are going to be Madame Asmodeus "'and unroof my house for the benefit of my neighbors. "'And Vassella, having lighted a cigarette, "'sat down and prepared to listen.' He had not long to wait, for Mrs. Verscoil burst out into a perfect volley of imprecations in Italian to which Vassella listened very quietly. "'You're not improving,' he said coolly when she stopped for want of breath. "'But all of this is talk. I wanted to know the reason of your visit.' Mrs. Verscoil took off her gloves, sat down in a chair, and, dragging it up to the table, placed her elbows thereon and began to talk rapidly. "'You Maltese dog!' she hissed between her teeth. "'I know all. Yes, all. Did I not meet Signor Clement at the Strada Cristoforo? And did he not tell me that you were as the shadow of my sister Carmela, and that you wanted to become her husband? Speak, you traitor, is it not true?' "'Before I answer that question,' said Vassella calmly, knocking the ash off his cigarette, First, tell me who is this Signor Clement that knows so much of my affairs. He came from England. When? Shortly after your ship arrived in London. Did he stop at the Signora Brifas? Yes. And asked questions? He asked me none. But, ah, with a gesture of impotent rage, that Dexter, she gave him all the lies of me, I am certain. Exactly and he told you that I was making love to Carmela and advised you to come to England. How did you know? asked Mrs. Verscoil, looking at him with fiery eyes. Because I have my suspicions that this Clement is a spy. A spy? For what? On whom? For a murder. On you. Mrs. Verscoil grew deathly pale. She clenched her hands and her two black eyes glared like burning coals at her cousin. Bah! she said at length, making a snatch at one of her gloves. This is a child's story. No, upon my honor it's not. I don't know for certain, but I could swear this man is a spy. Why should he go out to Valletta, lodge at the same house as you, and tell you this about me? Because he wanted you to come to England, because he is employed by an Australian devil called Monteith to hunt you down and accuse you of the murder of your husband, Leopold of Ayrscoil. Vassella arose to his feet while speaking, and went over to the woman who cowered in her chair like a savage beast, subdued for the moment by a master's eye. "'It's a lie! A lie!' she hissed, tearing her glove viciously. "'Who can prove I was on board?' "'Carmela!' "'Carmela!' She bounded to her feet, her face working with fury. "'She would not dare!' She has a done so, and a told Monteith. My God! My God! cried Mrs. Verscoil, stamping up and down the room. Oh, that my fingers were round her throat! She has taken my lovers from me, and now she'd take my life. Bah! with a sudden change. They can't prove anything. You can save me. Yes, but uh, will I? Mrs. Verscoil stole round the table and laid her arm caressingly round his neck. "'Yes, you will, my Matteo. "'Think of the love I have for you. 
you will disappoint this bloodhound when he thinks his game sure and you will marry me we will go back to our beautiful malta and there be happy this woman wooed with all the caressing fierceness of the south her harsh voice sank to a liquid murmur and her wonderful eyes lost their savage gleam and became melting and tender you will marry me she whispered softly Vesela sneered to himself, then rising suddenly removed her arms from around his neck. Impossible, he said coldly. I am engaged to Carmela. Mrs. Verscoil sprang back, her eyes blazing with anger, and dashed the fragments of her glove in his face. Ingrate! Traitor! Scoundrel! You shall suffer for this! Not at your hands, with a soft laugh. Yes, at my hands! I have your letters, written when you truly loved me, when you said you would kill. Silence, devil! And Matteo, his face set and stern, caught her arm. I will not be silent, screamed Mrs. Verscoil, struggling to get free. You shall not marry Carmela. I shall. It is at the price of your safety. My safety? And she suddenly grew calm. Yes. Carmela would have married the Australian. I hated him and wanted her. He has been searching for the person who killed Leopold Verscoil, and the evidence all points to you. He asked me if you were on board that night. I said no. I showed your letter. He asked Carmela. She said yes. The fool! I made her write a letter denying it. She will keep silent for your sake. No one but I can prove it. I will keep silent on condition that I marry Carmela. She has accepted me, and you will not refuse your consent. I will. You will not. Dog, let me go. Not till you consent. No. Vassala released her and went to the door of his room. I will be back in a few moments he said coldly. If you consent and promise not to trouble me, I will save you. If not, you must take the consequences. And he went into his bedroom and shut the door. Mrs. Verscoil recovered herself by a strong effort and going to the sideboard poured out half a glass of brandy which she drank off. This seemed to do her good, for she put her bonnet straight, smoothed her hair, and producing another pair of gloves from her pocket put them on. Then she went round the room looking at things until she came to the table whereon lay Vassella's portfolio. She saw Carmela's letter and first glancing towards the door to make sure he was safe snatched it up and devoured every word of it. Then throwing it down, she ransacked the portfolio with nimble fingers evidently to see if there were more. It is here, it is here, she muttered glancing rapidly over the papers. Ah! and with a cry of delight she picked up a letter and slipped it into her pocket. Just as she did this she heard Vassala's foot and knew he was returning. Pushing all the papers back she ran noiselessly to the mirror leaving the portfolio in the same disorder as she had found it, and was arranging her bonnet strings when Vassala dressed to go out entered the room putting on his gloves. "'Your answer,' he said sharply. Mrs. Verscoil turned to him with a smiling face. "'I am beaten. Yes.' He looked at her suspiciously. You mean it? On condition that you stop the bloodhound. Agreed. And now let us go out. Where is Carmela? She asked as he held the door open. At Marlow, 
with Sir Mark Trevor. Do you want to see her? No, that is, not at present, she answered, going down the stairs. Where does the bloodhound live? Why do you want to know? he asked sharply. You needn't tell me unless you like, said Mrs. Verscoyle haughtily. I only asked from idle curiosity. I believe he is stopping at the Tavistock Hotel in Covent Garden. Oh, carelessly as they stepped out to the street, this is my cab. Can I take you anywhere? No, thank you, said Matteo, helping her in. Good-bye at present. I'll see you again soon. I hope so, replied Mrs. Verscoyle, and Matteo walked away as the cab drove off. Mrs. Verscoyle lay back and smiled. You think you have won, she murmured, glancing at the stolen letter. But there are always two to a game, my dear Matteo. You forget that. 20. Julian Roper Reports Julian Roper, alias Signor Clement, had come to London in the same boat as Mrs. Verscoyle, and had made profitable use of his time by inflaming that lady's anger. On the morning after his arrival he went to Foster's chambers in order to make his report, and there found his employer Ronald Monteith in anything but a joyful frame of mind. Poor Ronald was very much cast down by the news of Carmela's engagement to the Marchese, though Foster tried to console him to the best of his ability. "'She is acting under compulsion, my dear boy,' said Gerald. "'Vassala has been telling her that Mrs. Verscoyle is the assassin of her husband "'and has demanded her hand as the price of his silence. "'How does he know that Mrs. Verscoyle is guilty?' asked Ronald fiercely. "'We have proved nothing. "'She may be as innocent as you or I, for all we know.' "'My dear lad,' said Foster, shrugging his shoulders, we can only go by circumstantial evidence in this case, and you must acknowledge things do look very black against Mrs. Verscoyle. Oh, why did I ever start trying to find out the murderess of Leopold Verscoyle? groaned Ronald, laying his head on the table. Rather, why did you fall in love with Carmela Cottoner? said Foster, not unkindly. We'll talk no more of this, said Ronald, hastily rising to his feet, till we see Roper and hear what he has to say. So Gerald, pitying the young man's sorrow in his kindly heart, went back to his musty law papers, and Signor jilted in love looked out of the window in sulky silence. Yet not sulky, poor lad, for his heart was aching with the thought of his future life being passed without Carmela, having, with the fine chivalrous feelings of youth, vowed he'd marry no other lady. Soon Julian Roper arrived and was welcomed with heartfelt joy by both gentlemen, who sprang with alacrity to their feet to greet him. He entered quiet and impassive as ever, but his sharp blue eyes took in at a glance the haggard looks of the Australian. "'You've been fretting, Mr. Monteith,' he said, looking keenly at him. "'Bah! Don't mind me,' said Ronald peevishly. "'I'm a little jaded with London gaiety. Tell us all you have learned.' "'I have not much to tell,' said Roper smoothly. "'You read my letter.' "'Yes, we read your letter,' echoed Foster quickly. That Mrs. Dexter said Mrs. Verscoyle had not been out of the house. Monteith saw Vassella, who corroborated the fact, and showed me a letter from Mrs. Verscoyle, which proved Mrs. Dexter's statement to be true, but— Go on, said Roger calmly. I like buts. There is always a chance of another step being made when but comes into the question. What did you do after seeing Vassella? Addressing himself to the Australian. I saw Miss Cottoner, burst out Monteith. 
Hum, there was a world of meaning in Roper's voice, and she said that Mrs. Verscoil had been on board. I thought so. And afterwards denied it. Indeed, Roper's eyebrows went up. At whose instigation? Vassella's, broke in Foster hastily before Ronald could speak. I thought so, said the detective calmly. Why did you think so? asked Monteith impatiently. In the first place, remarked Roper complacently, I had the honor of coming home in the same boat with Mrs. Verscoil. Secondly, I made her acquaintance as Signor Clement, and she liked me very much. I had frequent conversations with her and told her I was a friend of Vassala's. But you don't know him, said Ronald. All's fair in love, war, and detective work, observed Roper quietly. I told Mrs. Verscoil, who I knew from Mrs. Dexter's diary was in love with Vassala, that the Marchese wanted to marry Carmela Cottoner, her sister. That's true enough, said Foster. He's engaged to her now, whereat Ronald winced. The result was I aroused her jealousy, and she swore that she would prevent the marriage. But how? from Ronald, eagerly feigned to cling like a drowning man to a straw. That's what I could not find out, said Roper thoughtfully. She said she could stop the marriage and Vassella would have to obey her. Now, what logical inference do you draw from this? That Vassella committed the murder, said Ronald hastily. Not necessarily, replied Roper dryly. But this, that if Vassella knew she was on board that night, he also knew she committed the murder, and would therefore have a power over her. But her determination to stop the marriage shows that she must have some power over him, so that either she is innocent, or he committed the murder himself, and she can force him by fear of exposure to do what she wants. And which of these theories do you think is right? asked Foster. I am doubtful, said the detective, becoming a little agitated. But I... I have a third theory. Yes, said Ronald in a quiet tone, looking strangely at the detective. Roper arose to his feet and took a walk up and down the room for a minute, then turned to the young men who were puzzled by his curious manner. Of course, it's only a theory, said Roper nervously. But, but, I can only tell you what I think. Tell us in heaven's name, cried Foster, rising. Then I think Miss Carmela Cottoner committed the crime. What? Ronald sprang to his feet and made a spring at the detective, but Foster caught him and held him back. "'Be quiet, Ronald, be quiet,' he said firmly. "'A lie, a cursed black lie,' panted Ronald, glaring at the detective, who stood quietly looking at him. "'What proof, what proof, d-blank you, sir? Where is your proof?' Roper took out of his pocketbook the yellow scrap of paper given by Mrs. Taunton and the fragment of a letter written by Carmela to her sister. I obtained these through Mrs. Dexter, he said quietly, placing them on the table. Look. Ronald looked for a moment, then reeled back into Foster's arms. My God! My God! he sobbed. My God! The handwritings were identical in every particular. Foster went to a cupboard and got Ronald a glass of brandy which he forced him to swallow. Then, leaving the young man in the chair with his face buried in his hands, he sat down at his own table and began to speak to Roper. "'How did you make this discovery?' he asked quietly. "'I remembered in Mr. Monteith's story,' said Roper, "'that both sisters loved the husband, 
and I wondered if it were not possible that the younger might commit the crime quite as well as the elder, though I confess to you, I had no grounds for my suspicion. As I told you in my letter, I obtained a specimen of Mrs. Verscoyle's handwriting and found, by comparison with this paper, laying his hand on the yellow sheet, that though there was a similarity, there was also a slight difference. This began to confirm my theory, and by the kind aid of Mrs. Dexter I obtained this letter of Miss Cottoner's, by which you will see they correspond in every particular. At this moment Ronald arose from his seat and, staggering to the table, produced from his pocket-book the note written to him by Carmela before the Neptune reached Gibraltar. Laying this down by the other papers with a shaking hand, at the first glance it could be seen the handwritings were identical. "'It's true,' groaned Ronald. "'My God, it's true!' and he fell heavily into his chair again. "'And what is your opinion?' asked Foster. "'My theory,' corrected Roper, "'is this. I think Miss Cottoner saw her old lover on the boat and committed the murder, trusting to the presence of her sister on board to shield her from the consequences of her crime. I also believe that Vassella knows she is guilty, and has threatened to tell unless she marry him.' "'Yes, but what about Mrs. Verscoyle?' Oh, I think she knows that Carmela's guilty and threatens to expose her if she will not refuse to marry Vassella. It all seems clear enough, said Foster thoughtfully. Yes, but it's a d-blank-d lie for all that, said Ronald, springing to his feet. And oh, how haggard and worn his young face looked. Look here, you fellows. I love Miss Cottoner, and I don't believe she's guilty. I think that cursed Vassella is at the bottom of it all. I'm going to Marlow where Carmela is, and there I'll act a part. I'll see her, speak to her, and find out everything, but I must have your promise not to move in the matter till I tell you. We cannot promise, said Roper. Whose servant are you? asked Ronald fiercely. Will you do what I tell you? The law, began Roper. Hang the law and you too, burst out Ronald. If Carmela is guilty, you can't arrest her on the evidence you have, but she's innocent. "'Innocent, d'ye hear? I'll stake my head on it. "'Give me a month to clear her, and if I don't do it by then, the law can take its course.' "'Agreed,' said Roper. "'For my part,' said Foster, "'I don't care if the case stops now.' "'I only want a month,' cried Ronald, "'and I'll prove her innocence if I have to tear the truth out of Asella's black heart. "'Because of a little superficial evidence you believe her guilty, I don't.' I love her and I'll clear her, so help me God. Theatrical, no doubt, but both men felt that the lad spoke from his heart. I'll have another glass of brandy, Foster, said Ronald quietly. He got it and drank it. Tis but a step from the sublime to the ridiculous. End of chapters 19 and 20